Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me is Evan Drellick of CSN New England. Uh, Evan covers the Red Sox. You can also watch Evan on his TV show, The Baseball Show, um, Sundays at 6.30 on CSN. Um, Evan, how you doing? You know, I, the French pronunciation of your last name reminds me of a conversation that was uh, in the press box on opening day that Jameson, I always thought it was Italian or, 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 or something like that, but he's actually, I think he actually might be Canadian, and it's Tyon, I, I believe is the proper pronunciation. I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> yes, uh, th- these Canadian uh, pronunciations are, uh, are quite tricky. Um, we are also joined by uh, fellow um, BP Boston uh, guy in Massachusetts native, currently living in New York, Brian Joyner. Um, so, you Brian, know, welcome. Uh, we're joined by both uh, a, a New York expat living in New England and a New York expat living in uh, the Boston expat living in New York. So that's interesting. Yeah, we may get to that. It's, it's um, If you look at <laughs> things from my perspective, at some point, Evan just took my dream life and did it, and I moved to <laughs> home. And like we said, and like you, in very specific ways, I moved to what I believe to be the neighborhood he grew up in. Also, I always thought it was uh, Tyone. Uh, I'm happy to know it's Tyone. That if if you just said to, and I took French. I was not a Spanish guy, but if you just uh, gave some sort of very fine distinction and pronunciations, I did not pick up on it because I'm not that smart. Which we're about to learn more about how not smart I am, but. Um, Yes, but French pronunciation, I think. Well, I think the only difference in the way that he said it was he had a cognac in his hand at the at the time. So that was, that was really <laughs> the only difference. Wait, Brian, where do you live? Well, now I live in the suburbs, but I lived uh, in Astoria for eight years in a couple different places. Um, and I've seen okay. you write about Queens, so I figured – I thought I saw you write about Astoria because as someone who – from the Queens area would know Astoria and then the rest of Queens are especially at this point sort of different animals but that's getting a little inside baseball not in the way we want to get inside baseball because it's not actually baseball that's right that's right I, I, my father uh, grew up in Forest Hills and I, I too grew up some in Forest Hills and some in Manhattan so I've spent time in Astoria because of the reason you say that it is or that you alluded to which is that it's now kind of become Basically a yuppie center, kind of like a cheaper Williamsburg. Um, so I, I, but no, Astoria itself was not central to my childhood, but but Queens was. So yeah, Forest Hills is the other place I spent a ton of time. I lived very briefly in the Forest Hills Gardens. You know what, Jake? No one's gonna care about this, but I do, and you had me on the show. But now we can move on. All right. Well, before we move on, I do need some clarification from you, Evan. Did you grow up a Yankees fan or a Mets fan like someone from Queens would presumably be? I was a Mets fan. I didn't. The very short story of my baseball fandom is I did not get into baseball until 98. I, I was captured by Bud Selig's greatest achievement, the steroid era. It was McGuire and Sosa. Like, like, I am that guy. McGuire and Sosa brought me into baseball, and the Mets getting Piazza. I kind of liked both teams, the Mets and the Yankees, that first year. Um, my dad, like, he grew up in Queens. He didn't really care that much about baseball. He liked it, but he just didn't, it wasn't like a strong family thing. And all my Yankee fans' friends, like, everybody in that time period was a Yankees fan. And I was going to school in Manhattan. I, I lived more of the time in Manhattan. So uh, they were all jerks. 
about the Mets. And that very quickly pushed me to full-fledged crazy Mets fandom. Well, that's hey, Jake, I just, uh, I just want to ask. Oh, you, sure. Go ahead. Um, did you see that 538 actually published something today that um, for the first time in a very – in 10, 15 years, if not more, there are more Mets fans allegedly than there are Yankees fans. I thought of that because when you said you'd presume someone who grew up in Queens would be a Mets fan, I found that it very rarely works that way. Um, and just generally there's just more Yankees fans everywhere. Uh, but apparently in the city, it's it's that'll always be the case in the suburbs. But apparently in the city itself right now, Mets fans. Well, I'm glad to hear that something in our country is finally going in the correct direction. So that's a good that's point. assuming you think Queens is our country. <laughs> I'm gonna count it. Nas is from Queens, isn't he? Yes, he yes, is. Yes, he is. All right, then then I'm counting it. Um, so let's get into some baseball here, guys. Um, one of the things that has been fascinating to me uh, this year and that Evan has uh, covered a bit has been the injuries that have hit the team. We've had Price, Pomerantz, Thornburg uh, dealing with injuries. We've had Carson Smith last year, another Dave Dombrowski acquisition. Um, and Evan has interestingly enough raised the question, is there something that the Red Sox could be doing a little bit better uh, in their pitcher evaluations? And I think that this is something that is certainly worth exploring because you know they've given up most of the farm and large amounts of money for all of these guys um, that have been expected to contribute to the team uh, and in large part they've not done what they were expected to do so Evan would you elaborate on um, kind of what you're exploring and any findings that you've had so far my biggest contention is that it is possible that these are all separate incidents and in some way they they most certainly are but if there's anything tying these together and if there's anything along the way be it the evaluation of medicals in the acquisition process be it the communication in the strength and conditioning process be it the communication just throughout the, the medical sphere within the red sox right like there's a head trainer and you know, how that structure set up and is that ideally set up? Why did they miss out on there's – there's a number of things here. I think they themselves need to investigate. They need to step back and just say, let's just be really, really sure that we know what's going on here and that we're doing it the absolute best we can. Because I'm sure if they actually dug into it, they could probably find something small here and there, if not something larger, that could be improved and bettered because of what they've gone through. This April. I think the most dangerous thing from here would be to go, ah, it's just injuries, which was kind of the reaction Dave Dombrowski gave me. You know, I don't know if he necessarily believes it. In some respect, you expect an executive to, and I'm just entirely projecting. I don't have an indication that he wasn't being fully truthful, but just you wouldn't expect him to say, raise the alarm bells. Although, you know, when I was in Houston, I, I do remember Jeff Luno saying, we're at least going to look into a rash of, they had a, it was 2014, I believe, just a bunch of oblique intercostal injuries, just over and over. And, uh, you know, I, I think in the end, they didn't really find anything there. But it was strange, right? When you, when you have enough going on, you, you want them to look at it. The, the thing that stands out to me, the, I don't have any evidence to say that a doctor is reading something wrong, that Dombrowski is ignoring the advice of his medical team. It's pretty, I, one executive I was talking to recently, a non-Red Sox executive 
said that he's overpaying. This is obvious. He's buying high on relievers. That's a dumb idea, ultimately. And yeah. it's probably something I should I should write. But you're going, you know, there's unpredictability in the bullpen. And, and you're and not only are you buying high for, for these relievers, for guys at a, at a position where we see so much fluctuation, but you're doing it with guys who have very clear red flags. You know, this, this Thornburg situation, well, number one, some blame probably has to fall to him. And that's, that's probably, I think that's been kind of an under discussed element here. You know, he, he kind of threw the training staff under the bus and, and, and I don't think he meant to do it. And there does seem to be some evidence that the shoulder program is a little different than other teams. I, I, I have trouble believing it's drastically different than other teams. Um, but but it, it, some of it probably does fall to him. But look, when he, he almost went for Tommy John surgery. So when you almost go for Tommy John surgery but don't, you rehab it, you have to compensate somewhere. You strengthen the muscles in the forearm, all that, and the shoulder, right? Like, I have no idea if indeed his elbow situation affected his shoulder, but it would seem to be very much in the realm of possibility. So if there's one thing that stands out to me right now is like kind of a clear thing to hone in on, it's simply stop going after guys who stop paying a premium for guys that a have injury histories and B have injury histories of positions where it's, it, you know, the value, you're, you're guaranteeing you're going to be overpaying. And, and I, I think that's, you know, it's kind of the, the methodology of, of, of how they choose their which guys are the best to target, like in a very macro way. Um, I think that might be there. But I, but I can't sit there and tell you a doctor or somebody else is doing a bad job. But I, I can tell you I think they should look at it. I really think they should. There are two questions that immediately come to mind uh, from what you've just told me. The first question is, why on earth do you think that the training staff didn't fly out to wherever Thornburg was to, you know, explain to him how to do this new shoulder program or maybe send videos or something? Because he, he was obviously a very expensive uh, acquisition uh, in terms of prospect capital that they that they sent over to get him. Um, and then the second question is, does Dave Dombrowski need to uh, assess himself a little bit with these acquisitions that he's making for these relievers because he's buying like you said at the absolute height of their value um, where there's really no upside to him that he can get in these trades like they're not going to have a better year Carson Smith or Thornburg uh, than the year that they had prior to him trading for them um, so he's paying a exorbitant cost and presumably they can only go down or remain the same from where they were. There's not really a lot of room for them to grow. So isn't he in a way setting himself up for failure in the eyes of the fan base when he does something like that? To the second question, yes and no. If, if these guys help win a World Series, then the majority of the fan base is going to say, okay, whatever, he, you know, he did what he had to do. And, and whether or not that was actually the case, whether or not Thornburg and Smith are the reasons they win the World Series or, or significant reasons, you know, that, that kind of goes by the wayside a little bit outside of, uh, you know, those of us who kind of more closely scrutinize and care about those sorts of things. Uh, so, so yes, he should kind of, uh, that's another thing that he should evaluate within this is, is who he's targeting. But this is the, this is his MO, right? It, it's never been about efficiency of, 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 of value basically it's, it's never been about squeezing out the, 
the 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 most with your resources that that, that that's just not how he's operated and in some way it's too bad because when you have so many resources you can kind of cover that up by the fact that you have so many resources right but at the same time if you were if you were acting with a great efficiency you, you would maximize the impact of those resources now to the first question about the should somebody have flown out there? I don't know. And maybe somebody did report it. I hadn't seen it. I don't know that somebody didn't. I don't know how many times the uh, training staff was in communication with Thornburg. You know, what did or didn't happen there is a good question. It's a question I can ask. Uh, it would be interesting to know. On, on some level, you know, what if Thornburg was just dumb right. or in this instance just acted stupidly? What if he was lazy? You know, th these are the kind of things where it, it, it's a little harder to know the reality of it. These guys, the strength and, strength and conditioning staff and the medical staff responsible for a lot of guys, it doesn't sound like anybody else had trouble with instructions. So you know, maybe did this one slip through the cracks? Yeah, there could be some culpability here for the strength and conditioning staff. On a whole, I have not heard people complain about this medical staff, right? This was a big issue for the Red Sox going back to the Thomas Gill days, right? And there's a reason he's now doing stuff with, uh, I don't know if you, go, you go to WEI.com. I don't know why I'm plugging another website, but like <laughs> he, he does some sort of podcast with them. And like, so that's why I see Thomas Gill. He's not involved with the Red Sox anymore for a reason. There was, there was a lot of medical problems and they put a lot of effort into getting this stuff right. And Kiyoshi Mimose is the name of the head strength guy. He came over from the Pirates. He's got a very good reputation. So there doesn't seem to be a ton of a ton of fire behind the smoke that, that there's some widespread problem. Could you know? Could they find a way to maybe make this easier for guys to ease into, such that you don't have this? What Joe Kelly talked about, and and Farrell said Rick Porcello had gone through a little bit with the shoulder program, and maybe not. Maybe they're out. These guys are just going to get sore because it's indeed muscles activating. And the thing. I think when, when Farrell and Dabrowski made that stupid move to come out and go, fake news, fake news, they, they, they should have, they didn't approach it right. The, the thing to have done, if this is in fact the case, would have been to clearly explain that, yes, some soreness can come up from this, but we just don't think that, knowing that we had talked about it previously, we being John Farrell, the first person to mention in the context of Tyler Thornburg, that the shoulder program was something at play. We don't think that that's the root of the issue. And Farrell's done that a little bit better since. But, that, you know, whether or not that truly caused this or he came over with a damaged shoulder, like, that's where it's, it's simply unclear, is how much did this shoulder program actually contribute to it. From what Thornburg says, it did. And it's fully believable. And then it's just a matter of how much of it and how much of it should it have contributed, if at all, or did it simply exacerbate and expose underlying things that were there that should have been caught kind of one way or another. Like the only way this doesn't look bad for the Red Sox is if it truly developed in camp separate of anything he had in his history and separate of the program, right? Like that's possible. It, it, it just like it's possible that Brady Aiken went for Tommy John surgery and it had nothing to do with what the Astros saw on the MRI, right? Like that it's possible it's quite unlikely. So right. one way or another, either the Red Sox missed something or there was some sort of bad communication. And that's just kind of what are the different degrees of impact? And, and, and that's where it becomes 
a lot more speculation. I don't know if anybody could say. I don't even know if a doctor could sit there and tell you, well, you know, this this caused this, this caused that. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that their reaction was to kind of deny it uh, immediately. It almost seems a little bit more like an admission of some that, that, wrongdoing. That was just it was just dumb. There's no there's no way around that because and it, it what it said you know if you listen to John Farrell mm-hmm. on a daily basis, which I have the pleasure of doing, he very rarely says things firmly. It's always kind of a triple negative, terrible syntax, like hedging answer. That's not to say that this to that or the other thing or whatever kind of phrasing you want. And he was so firm there that it it just suggests to me that this was Dave Dombrowski saying, put this fire out. Mm -hmm. The problem is the fire was kind of self-created. You know, it, it was not the messaging all around is kind of the central thing here. What was the messaging to Tyler Thornburg? And what was the messaging to the public subsequently? And and they kind of screwed up on. It seems like they might have screwed up on both fronts. But uh, you know, the, I, I I do worry a little bit that the training staff is being taken a task maybe unfairly here with, without full you know a full slate of evidence. And that's something I should probably write. Uh, I I want to get to the one of the the larger questions here is the the issue of whether or not a team has a lot of control in their ability to predict pitcher injuries in general. And um, you had a great guest on the baseball show. I believe that was just two days ago. You had Jeff Passan on. Um, and he seemed to think that no one has the answer to this particular question. But then um, oftentimes, you know, following baseball, you hear about particular teams that have more rigorous physicals than another. And one team that comes to mind is the Baltimore Orioles, who seem to have these physicals where they routinely deny people contracts and um, you know it, it strikes you as a more rigorous process than what you get from some teams you know the Red Sox being one of those teams so do you think there is any element of thoroughness that um, that goes into this prediction or uh, sort of prognostication about um, the health of these players going forward and you know are some teams better at it than others is that something that you've noticed at all I mean, I'm sure there are teams that are better than others. It would kind of be impossible for there not to be some separation. And I think this is where, you know, the Astros created a a position. They hired uh, someone who kind of had a, unsurprisingly, a business background to be their, whatever they're calling it. His name is Bill Ferkus, uh, you know, director of medical services. And, you know, he somebody who's kind of not only the point man for the distribution of the information, and I don't even know if he's kind of doing that how much he is with the day-to-day on that right now, but someone who who's intaking the research that's being done and, and, and making sure that the team is always up to date on whatever might be applicable to their, you know, to the baseball world, right? There's all these studies that get done, I, I think. I, I, I'm not privy to them, but, uh, you know, somebody's got to, with every organization, or it, sh- it should be the case that every organization is someone who is trying to, look at every medical innovation and study as much as possible and try to find ways to apply that. And, and the Red Sox have that in Zach Scott, who is their, uh, let's see, the executive vice president for uh, research and development. I should know this because I wrote a long story on him, but he's, he's the R&D guy, right? Zach Scott is the, like, I, the way I described him is, is 
arguably the most important sucks because he he's looking at ways to keep the team well really to catch the team back up to speed in analytics they fell behind which was really kind of shocking to me because when i was covering the astros i always assumed that the red sox would not be a team to fall behind i just thought that well they're just a ton of money how could they fall behind they you know like they were always at the at the or or perceived to be at the forefront when you go back to the Moneyball days and theo and and somewhere along the way they they kind of they 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 did they fell behind and Scott now is catching them up. They've made some hires. And part of the way Scott is catching them up is, is to intake this medical information and see what's, what's applicable. At least that comes down to like things like wearable technology. And you know, I don't know if, if, if he's the guy who's, I would actually doubt that he's the guy kind of reading research papers, but every organization should have that. And you do hear GMs that, it's almost as common these days. It's well, you've got to combine, you know, uh, the scouting and the. If I if I hear that phrase one more time about uh, the need to combine all the information, I'm going to punch somebody. Like I, I it, it's just it's not. Yes, you know, we know you need to combine it. It's how you combine it. Do right. you combine it in an objective way? Um, it, it, it. What was I? What was the thought I was finishing there before I went on a tangential uh, rant? Um, Scott. Uh, Medical. About oh, how you hear everybody behind. say, well, no, you hear everybody say the medical arena is the, you know, that's the next big field. And that's something that's very easy to pay lip service to. Mm-hmm. And it's more a question of, well, how much manpower service are you paying to it? If that's a way to phrase it. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it, it's yeah. it's something everybody talks about, but but undoubtedly different teams are doing it differently and applying it differently. And it's... Uh, it's it almost seems it seems shocking that with the size of these investments that that wouldn't have been something that the Red Sox um, during their time as you know one of the most successful franchises uh, in all of baseball would have been investing heavily and that is very shocking to me that they have You're talking about the medical behind. medical side or or analytics well both really I, I think that they're they're See, I don't know but it, but it's harder for me I can't tell you that they fell behind I guess inherently they must have to some degree because if they didn't have enough manpower. On the analytics side, does wouldn't that suggest that they probably weren't were also not at the forefront on on the medical side? That might be the case. It, it's it's harder to teams don't like to talk about uh, well much of anything anymore, frankly, because everything's a competitive advantage. But this is one of the harder things to to get into, uh, you know, on a deep level. Is okay. Well, what are you doing? And, and you know what. It, it's worth it. Probably is worth a question. Uh, I, I do know Scott's involved with this now. I, I don't know how much deeper it, it, it runs and, and, and to who. Uh, you know, Brad Pearson. They hired another trainer this year. Hi, uh, I shouldn't say. Hi, I think they promoted him from AAA, so that Pearson, who's the top trainer, is now a little bit more. He still gets his hands on people in the training room, but he's a little bit more free to, to run the point. You know, to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of be the guy on site. But, but medical structures are, re- are really interesting. I, I, I can't profess to have the deepest knowledge, but, but it was something I did, I did ask Dombrowski about it. Does Pearson, does, does it go through Pearson? I, I, but, but whether or not they have somebody truly dedicated to medical research, and do they need somebody, you know, do, would they benefit from adding another position and kind of changing the umbrella a little bit is one of these questions that they should be asking themselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially with the cost associated, you would think of adding, even if it was several new positions to the team, the cost of these deals that they're giving out and the cost of you know, losing players to injury during the season, it seems uh, like it would be worthwhile to any franchise. A- absolutely it does. Um, Brian, did you have anything uh, that you wanted to ask about the, the current in- injury situation with the Red Sox? Well, the first thing I wanted to ask was you. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but did you drink every time mentioned Evan mentioned the Astros? Because that's something we should have figured out beforehand. Well, but, but like, think about how interesting this is. Like, and I know, I know, it's it's probably and and for for Red Sox fans who are listening, if they're still listening, if they haven't shut this off, uh, it's like, well, like, what do you care about the Astros? But you know, I, I covered the team for two and a half years, and it the contract. There's no, I can't imagine a better contrast for walking back into the Red Sox beat than having covered the Astros, right? Because in some way, you, you might have the number one and number 30 GMs in terms of, I don't want to say enlightenment, but in terms of uh, philosophy and, and kind of going full speed in, in direction in another direction. Because the reality is that, uh, yeah, you know, Dombrowski has a very good reputation for handling people, and, and Luno did not certainly at the start of, of his time with, with the organization. But but on the flip side of that, Dombrowski has a very bad reputation for analytics, and Jeff probably has the best reputation for analytics in the game. So it, it, the, the seeing how those two play out kind of up close has, has been, you know, it's been an interesting experience, to, 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 to say the least. So what from what you're saying, it I mean, it always have got I've always gotten the sense that Dombrowski – especially for a team like the Red Sox could represent something of an anachronism. But then when you compare them to other extremely big market teams, they do sort of run like this. Uh, I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but uh, am I wrong in thinking? Go ahead. The the, the thing that is working to Dombrowski's advantage is that he did not walk in here and blow this thing up. He didn't make Frank Wren the GM. He he does seem to be open-minded to everything that was kind of in place under Ben. Now, the question then becomes, okay, what does Dombrowski add outside of this kind of willingness to spend? And it's like, well, is that a trait that you need to spend that much money for that Ben couldn't? Maybe Ben Charrington never could have done what Dombrowski did in terms of parting with players and, and turning the, you know, the farm into a, a more present value for the major league team. Fine. That's a whole other discussion. Um, Dombrowski is never going to be the guy who, who all of a sudden becomes analytically inclined, right? But at least he seems to value input, and he does seem to want these guys to keep doing what they're doing. Like, you know, if he wanted to, he could have probably kept Zach Scott from hiring more people. But now they've hired, uh, you know, they were... In, in Detroit, Dombrowski had one, one and a half analysts, and he said, well, it's about money. And I said to Dave at one point, you know, forgive me for, for kind of not believing that entirely, but when you have that much pay in payroll, how could you not find another 50000 for an analyst, for, for an additional analyst or two or whatever? And the answer was, well, we had what we needed. And that was the way he termed it was one and a half people. And, and of course, today, that's not the case. You need more than one and a half. When Alavilla took over... Uh, he hired more people. I, I, I asked him that in spring down in Florida. I asked Al, you know, what was one of the changes? And I didn't even ask this question in the context of analytics. 
and, and it was the one thing he mentioned was, well, we, we brought on more analytical people. Um, and I'm sure he'd been asked the question so many times in that context that that's where his mind went. But that might be true, that that was kind of the one big change from uh, Dave's time there in Detroit to uh, uh, to Alice. But I don't even know if I, if I was answering the question you were going for. I just kind of cut you off, which is no, a bad just, habit of mine. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, I just I, – I do – I don't know if frustration is the right word, but I mean, I, I do sometimes see what Dombrowski is, has done as a departure from recent Red Sox practice, which is true in some sense, and it's not in the true where that, you know, you have the Theo uh, uh, big signings that they all ended up getting traded or whatever. But it doesn't. I mean, I guess the injury, the injury thing seems to me to be one issue. And uh, certainly the, the communication seemed to really stoke the problem, as we've talked about uh, quite a bit. But I don't know how different uh, for me, looking at what Dombrowski is doing differs uh, at least somewhat uh, qualitatively from what the Yankees and uh, Dodgers do on a daily basis. Um, right, you're saying you're saying in, in the end it, it kind of, it doesn't feel too too much different. Yeah, though I I when you say he's the, maybe the number one in uh, the old school direction, that doesn't that doesn't sound great to me. But 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 again, I, I what I do think works in his favor is is the fact that he he is taking the input now. How how much he takes the input and how how well he puts together those pieces of information. It is a different question. I think that's what kind of separates it. But but you're right. Like this is where you know if, if this is about kind of winning in the margins. But when you're talking about with these big market teams, the margins are you, you don't look at them quite as closely. And it's it's more of a it, it almost will you know for Dombrowski to in some way be exposed if that's the way to look at you know if this kind of side of him is going to expose a weakness uh, it would have to be kind of a particular you know I, I think the, the overpaying for relievers is, is, is probably one area you could do it I, I maybe Friedman has done it but I, I just don't think Andrew Friedman would necessarily go out and, and maybe somebody could give me five examples where this has happened but but you know who do you sooner trust to kind of squeeze out value? It, it wouldn't be Dombrowski. But you're right. If again, if you're going after 200 million dollar players, that all these big market teams are, where does that show up? It, well, and I mean, I guess the, with Dombo, where it shows up is we saw the Chris Sale trade before before it happened. It seemed like the most obvious trade in the world, and he, I mean, and he made it happen. So that happened. Um, yeah, and and you know, I so, you know, there are, there are people who think he gave up. There are executives who think he gave up way too much. I am not of the opinion that that trade was a bad deal. Um, it, you know, it's like ask me tomorrow the, night. Yeah, well, the, right, exactly. <laughs> the the the, the pri- they're like they're they're very much Dombrowski in some way could actually be tapping into something of a, what you might call a market inefficiency, right? If, if people are overvaluing their prospects, which, which I'm inclined to believe happens, and happens more often than we acknowledge, you know, then, you know, how many, t- 
it would be somebody should do it, and probably you guys would be uh, very well suited to do it. But but you know, go over the value of what he's given up in total in totality in his time as a GM. Maybe I don't know if you can do go back to the Marlins years, but at least in the Tigers years, does he come out on the top? Is it a wash? Did he gain more than he lost in terms of you know the guys he traded away? I I I wonder. I don't know the answer to that, but you know a lot of these trades. It doesn't feel like he's gotten burnt on every single trade. I, I, the, the willingness to part with prospects is not as much a concern for me as is he using the best possible tools for evaluation. Yeah. Well, getting into the prospects uh, goes straight into Pomerantz, about whom you've written as well, getting into the uh, Anderson Espinosa um, fetish, not fetishizing, but the hindsight. Yeah. Uh, with Anderson Espinosa, which it's perfectly okay, I think, to look back at it. I just think that, I mean, when I see that trade specifically, like that's who Pomerantz was, and you just don't know if these guys are even going to make it X number of years. That's I'm editorializing. Right. I've been I've been pretty firmly in the camp that they were in a rock and a hard place. They needed at least one starting pitcher. He was healthy enough to pitch. The, the, I'll take it back for a second. The one thing that would tell me they absolutely made the wrong decision is if they looked at those medicals and said that this problem he has is not going to go away, that if they expected this to kind of linger into 2017, if that was very obvious, that to me seems a big mistake. But absent of that, let's assume that they thought he could kind of get over this and, and get back to a, a healthy level you know, with the regular offseason, which is what I think everybody expected until we walked into spring training. And, oh, by the way, these guys are on kind of a delayed schedule, him and Stephen Wright. Um, let's say they rescind the trade. What team with a pitcher equal or better to uh, Pomerant is going to sit there and go, okay, yeah, we're not going to we, – we'll, we'll make a deal with you, but we'll do it without Espinosa being included, right? At that point, if you're going to go out and get another starting pitcher – and, and I don't remember, it, would, it wouldn't be that hard for me to sit and look, and I should. I don't remember who else was really on the market at the time. Uh, Hellickson was you, the big you, guy. And how did his season finish up? Hellickson? I'd have to look that up. I, I, right, it, sure. right, we'd have to go look you at You have your season, answer but, anyway. If you have to look it up, you probably have your answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and it's just, he needed a starting pitcher. Clay Buckles and Joe Kelly made the need for a starting pitcher abundantly clear, and the argument could be made that he needed to. Uh, the deal itself didn't bother me. The fact that they didn't, you know, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too with this whole rescinding thing. Uh, if you didn't like the deal, you undo it. This, this idea that, that, that MLB should have had some sort of other, you know, special case remedy here, that's not how it works. This has been a very clear thing for years. It's, it, the precedent's in place. If, if medical information is not disclosed, uh, or something else is kind of makes a deal invalid, you undo the trade. And, and they, they, they had multiple opportunities to do this. I don't think people realize it was not just once. They had a, I was told, uh, hashtag source, that this was before the trade deadline and after the trade deadline because it was a progression, and I could go back and pull up the story. But you know, they get them. They realize the records, aren't they? They get the records. Uh they then eventually send him for an MRI. And at multiple points along the way here, they could have had this trade undone. That, that, that was available to them. Um, so it does fall on them if, if, if they made a medical misjudgment. But I, I don't 
agree with the criticism that the trade at the time was stupid because people are just forgetting the context. Uh, I I believe that's my argument. Okay. And uh, this is Jake. Is it cool if I follow up with uh, a little uh, change up of a question here? Yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, Hellickson how dare you go off script? Uh, second half ERA. If anybody was wondering out there, which I'm sure they weren't, but he actually oh, did no, have th- a good second half. This is on script. We talked about this. We're asking. We're going to ask you, uh, be about your big move to television, um, <laughs> from from the smoke filled, not smoke filled, um, rooms of the Boston Herald. Uh, which happened last week, last week, two weeks ago. Uh, March 19th was my official start date. Um, what are the rooms well, what, with? So, um, mostly BS, actually. <laughs> so it's, how, it's is any, it, any how is it different? Uh, that would be the first question. Well, I mean, the fact that I'm on TV, the, the most basic way is the fact that I'm on TV now with quite uh, – with regularity. I mean, I think I'll be on TV with every home game uh, and, you know, pretty much every work day, there will be some involvement with TV. Now, I'm still writing and, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm now, instead of, you know, I was at the Herald, I never went into the office. I, now I, uh, um, now I have an office. I'm actually at the CSN office right now. It's, so it's like for the first time in basically a decade, I, I have an office to work out of. Uh, I, when I was like a newspaper clerk back in college and right when I finished up college was the last time I was kind of in an office environment. So that's, that's interesting just from like a personal perspective. Um, but I, you know, I'm still writing. I, I, I'm not changing, you know, in terms of what stories interest me and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, I did a Brian O'Hara and Eddie Romero feature. Like I'm still going to try to do the job that I did at the Herald just with uh, some more, kind of multi-platform stuff mixed in, right? Like TV and trying to start up a podcast, which you guys can probably help me out on the technical audio side of things because I'm using my little voice recorder for that. Yeah, sure. um, what, 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 what prompted that question? In the, did something about the Pomerantz discussion uh, prompt that no, question? Was I being... No, no, we had talked about it beforehand, and I just wanted to get oh. it in. Especially, um, I'm just as interested in uh, that as I am with uh, your, and I guess other writers and uh, journalists interaction on Twitter, because you especially tend to bring out the sharpest in people uh, and vice versa. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering who your uh, your most vicious enemies are and uh, who you find your best allies on uh, Twitter among the Red Sox press corps. You know what? A lot of that stuff that you'll see, like like if it's depends who it is, but, but, but realistically, I'm friends with the vast majority of that beat. We're, 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 you know, we spent a lot of time together, and you know, so if me and Tim Britton or me and Rob Bradford are going at each other, like, that's that's just kind of like competitive love right there. It's not really a, you know, I, I both of those guys are, are friends. Tim and I are particularly close, but I, but you know, Bradford has been somebody who, um, it, it's been, he's been he's been a help in my career. I mean, it's just that you know. I, I hope he never hears me say those words out loud, but the reality is that a lot of what you see when it is involving the Red Sox beat, these are people I know. Uh, when it's Darren Ravel, who's a moron, uh, when right. it's, um, uh, who else? I don't know. Well, you know, I had a thing with Calcaterra years ago. When it was Keith Law a few years back, and this was when I was in Houston, you know, I mean, I, I just, 
I, I, I get wild up, I guess, you know, yeah. but, but it's not like, I don't, I don't know if I have any like current standing enemies, so to speak. I, I don't think. Uh, no, I, 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 I didn't. I, yeah, no, I didn't yeah, right. think, I didn't think so. Um, and because it's clearly in most cases, Tim Britton, especially clear is <laughs> it was honestly more with Bradford. I was asking because it, yeah. even on Twitter where you can sort of assume everyone is joking, you guys go after each other uh, deep. And it, it was honestly hard for me to tell whether it was in fun or not, but it seemed like given how long it's sustained, it sort of had I've to be. been a personality, like just, um, I'm kind of easy to make fun of. It's just like the way it's been in my life. Um, but I'm like pretty like, like I'm a friendly person. So, so a lot of, um, it's just like, I, so in the press box now with Comcast, my seat has moved. So I'm in between Scott Lauber of ESPN and Ian Brown of MLB.com. And I used to work under Ian, uh, love both those guys. And Bradford is next to Ian and Bradford and I are just like barking at each other all opening day, you know, uh, and it's 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 ultimately just like a, like a respect thing because he's good. I, I like to think I'm good. You know, we we uh, we're actually pretty like-minded in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'm of course smarter, better, and, and, and better looking, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're listening, Rob, you know all of this to be true. But I, I kind of look forward to. I really hope because I'm doing a little bit of WEI stuff now. I, I kind of hope at some point, like he and I can can have a have I don't know, a segment together because I, there is like a natural friendly animosity that exists there. That just kind of, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a good time. I used to, I used to go buy the guy five hour energy. He used to, he used to like say, Hey, like, do, do you want a five hour? He would pay for it if I would go do it. This was back in like 2013. Um, so it's, 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 it's all love there. How's, how's your report with uh, Carabas and Merloni? You're, you're going to be going to be spending a lot of time with those guys. I think it's good. I mean, I you know I don't know them deep, uh, deeply in any way yet. I haven't really seen them outside the office, outside of that wonderful video shoot we did. I don't know if you saw the uh, where I'm reading a, the Rogers Hornsby quote poem thing. Um, mm, but I, I think it's good. I mean, I don't know. You guys tell me. Does the show move? Does it flow? I, I you know I think it's I to me it feels it. right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I saw an episode. I thought it was very informative. I thought there was good flow there and. Um, you know, you, you kind of played the part of the analytical guy, it seemed like, and Carabas played the part of the, the more of the gut feel guy. I don't know if that was intentional, but um, and, and Merloni kind of acted as a mediator, it seemed. Yeah, and Merloni, and he, you know, Merloni knows his stuff, and, and you know, he, I think, yeah, I think there's there's all sorts of strengths there. I just wish we, we all didn't look the same, just three bearded white guys. Um, <laughs> Thinking about shaving, you know. At least I wear glasses sometimes. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that. We're in, and now we're going to, from an hour to an hour and a half. So I think that's uh, it might allow for a little bit more expanded discussion because it's, you know, it, it, it those things fly by. Honestly, there hasn't been one of these where it's like we're sitting there and we're like, damn, what do we have to talk about? You yeah, know? I'm gonna plug that again here because if any of our listeners out there are in the New England area and do not watch that show. Uh, it is a absolute must-watch. It's the baseball show. It's on Sundays that's, at 6:30, so definitely, definitely do check that out. Um, I want to switch gears here a little bit because your time is obviously limited, and we have even more stuff to ask you. Um, nice. I wanted to ask you about um, the hitting this year because without David Ortiz, 
Um, this is obviously a very different looking lineup for the Red Sox. And, um, you know, it's still very good. It's still very deep. Um, but I wanted to ask you two things. Is this still a top five unit in the American League in the entire league? Is it a top five unit um, at the end of the year? And what do you make of the whole situation where Xander Bogarts is batting sixth? Because um, to me especially, it seems that is there something visually wrong about seeing Xander Bogarts uh, come up to bat after Mitch Moreland? Um, but I, I want to ask yeah. you what your take is. Is this the right choice for the team right now, or is this just a, another poor decision by Farrell that is eventually going to be reversed midseason or you know in a month or something like that when uh, he comes to his senses and realizes that Xander Bogarts should not be getting fewer at-bats than uh, a few of the guys ahead of him? Um. To your question about the offense, I mean, you guys tell me. I, I Yes, I still think they'll be one of the top five uh, best offenses around. I, I, I don't know why. You know, Ortiz is a huge loss, but there are still other pieces there. And the, the, the things that are more up in the air to me is, well, how much is Jackie Bradley the same as he was? Is Mookie Betts the same as he was? Can, you know, could he possibly get better? Um you're getting something it, it, it would seem out of third base as opposed to the nothing that was last year. Um, and catcher, I'm more optimistic than most. I, I think, I think you can have an adequate situation there. Even if Sandy Leone is not what he was a year ago. Um, what was the other part of that question? Uh, about Xander Bogart oh, Bogart. batting six Bogart. in the lineup. And being uh, Moreland. Yeah. I, so look, I, Anyone who's kind of like plugged in, right, in any sort of <laughs> anyone who's not Dave Dombrowski, uh, no, I take, I don't mean, I don't, I don't mean that. I really don't mean that. Um, would understand that the concept of having one of your best hitters batting down the lineup is not ideal. Um, you know, I do think because of the poor second half he had, it, it's not the worst. And he's also somebody who's talked pretty openly about kind of feeling pressure it's more been a late late uh, late inning thing for him i think but i don't mind just letting him get hot and then moving him up i think i think he very well could be the three hitter at some point this year that's where i uh, had in preseason yeah but you know it, it kind of comes down to do you do you believe in left right left right i think for right now the problem is for me when i look at the lineup where, where you have the four righties up top, and, and I think Ben Attendee is making a case now. Uh, you know, you, you can see Bogart's fit, I think, is a really strong argument right now. What You know, screw Mitch Moreland. The guy can't hit. I don't care what his all-field approach is, that all of a sudden is going to you know, be great for Fenway. Like, that's not what he's here for. I think you have a better chance of protecting Hanley Ramirez if we believe in the concept of protecting to begin with. And I think uh, certainly the people in the clubhouse still do, you know, whether or not that's um, – you know, I, th I think that's been debated. Uh, you know, I'm sure there have been stories of prospectus suggesting it doesn't matter. But um, I, I, that, to me, would be the move. I, I, but if you had all those guys up at the top, I worry that the bottom of the lineup becomes a wasteland relative to the top. And I, and, and I understand you might be shortchanging in a bat, and probably that's, that extra bat for Xander Bogarts would actually be more valuable than whatever you're doing by spreading it out slightly. But But... The idea of having somebody a little bit further down the lineup and, and, and a ultimately 
a balanced lineup, I don't think is the worst thing. Uh, so it, this is where I, I, I liked the idea of him batting not in the top three to start the year because I wanted to see what he was because he really did have it down second half, mm-hmm. uh, see how he kind of performed. And um, I, I do now wonder, should he be batting fifth? Is, is, is the Moreland thing taking left, right, left, right a little bit too far? Uh, and if Moreland doesn't hit, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I bet that clamor will grow, will, will grow pretty quickly. Yeah, I guess I, I think that there's enough talent at the top that I could see Bogarts batting fifth. And my my big thing was just being behind Moreland. But at, at the same, it was Bogarts fifth, by the way. Um, but yes. the, the the whole thing with uh, Xander Bogarts is just that like. You know, this guy is so dynamic from so many different areas. When everything is clicking, he seems like the type of guy that can get on base against really any pitcher that there is. He's a guy who has a good amount of speed. He's a really good base runner. Seems like all the things that you would want at the at the top of the lineup. So it's just, it, it has a feeling of eventually it will work itself up to that point. I mean, do you, do you I see think. a scenario I, I where that. it doesn't happen that way, though? Like, if he does what he did last year in the first half, is there any way Farrell can keep him out of the top half? No, probably not, because what are the chances that somebody else is, like, you know, are Pedroia and Benintendi hitting in the same way? Like, like right. if he's doing the, the first half was so good. Um you don't have a choice at that point. I, I don't. But, think. but Jake, my question when you say you say can he? Why would he? I mean, I, it, I, my pumping the brakes on on this it just comes down to the fact that it's. I know there was spring training, but he was in the World Baseball Classic, and it's sure. also been one game. <laughs> there was there was one game where Mitch Marlin batted fifth. Now I know that we've seen the left right left right before, and it's uh, perfectly reasonable to think him or. Uh, if spring training is any indication, Sandoval uh, might slot fifth, but it's not something. Um, I I, <laughs> I applaud your getting worked up about it, but I don't think at this point it's worth it. Also, just to my two cents on the lineup: if you lose David Ortiz but replace him with the American League MVP slash Rookie of the Year in Andrea Benintendi, which they have done, <laughs> see they're fine. They're fine. <laughs> I do I do feel very good about Benintendi, but that makes um, that makes me and the rest of the world so. Yeah. Yeah. He looked pretty incredible uh, last night, or yeah, last night. Can I? Can I? I, I got You know, I want some credit. I'm not the guy who sits in the press. I really never will say. We'll call anything like like oh he's gonna do this here or do this here, but I did in that at bat. It was the only thing I called that day. I did tell Ian Brown. I said he's gonna go deep here, and I was 100% right because I I could see the future. That's all. I just wanted out there that I called that home run. Okay. You should definitely buy a Powerball ticket on your way home. I didn't tweet it. You, you know how much restraint that took. A lot. I uh, that's all. I was watching the game yesterday, and I had to leave to pick up my daughter, and I was waiting. Uh, trying to last out the Jackie Bradley Jr. at bat that would eventually start the entire rally. And there were two strikes, and I kept just waiting for it to be over, so I had to leave. So the second I left my house, I scored five runs. Yeah. So <laughs> well, Evan may predict the future, but runs. I caused <laughs> yeah, exactly. the future. <laughs> yeah, Brian, don't go back to your house, please, when the Red Sox are playing. Um, so what all this has me thinking about, though, with, with, with Xander batting sixth right now is – 
you know, I'm always I'm always thinking about the young guys and their mental health because I want them to want to be Red Sox for the rest of their lives because uh, the Red Sox mm. have such an enviable young core right now. And with the recent extension to Stephen Piscotty uh, by the Cardinals, who seem to be really good at getting ahead of these types of players that, you know, they know are going to be good. Um, how hard are the Red Sox currently trying to lock up that core of JBJ, Mookie, and Xander? So... What Sam Kennedy explained uh, to me the other day was that they, they I believe he's speaking simply about the internal conversations. They think about this a lot, right? The biz- and, and it's interesting. It's easy to forget the business side involvement with this, right? Because in some way, it's, it, it is as much Dave Dombrowski's responsibility. Uh, it's more Dombrowski, but in terms of looking at the budgets for 2018 and 2019, well, that's, that's Sam Kennedy's department, too. Um, and, and they've they've talked a lot about it. Do I think that at some point in time they've had conversations or broached these things with these guys? My guess is yes. Uh, I've heard deferring things to the point that I've not reported anything on it because I have not been able to peg it down one way or another. Basically, you know, one person says one thing, another person says another thing. What do you believe, right? And that's the kind of thing as a reporter you deal with. Um, but logic would just tell you that. If the, it would be surprising if at some point they haven't gone, hey, Mookie, uh, what, what do you want, buddy? Uh, what, what, do you, yeah. what, what, what's, what keeps you around? Um, Two horses, but, maybe, for Mookie, too? Yeah. Um, it, but, you know, and Alex Spear, it was, he made a good point in a piece in spring training that, you know, the, the endorsement money these guys get can kind of stave off the need for this for, for long-term things. You know, Mookie is represented by the agency that is George Springer, and George Springer uh, rebuffed an, an Astros. Uh, granted, it was a very low, uh, low-dollar um, attempt, but uh, you know, it it, it it would unless somebody really it takes some some effort on the player's part to do it. You know, it, 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 if you're going to pay market value for a guy, if Mookie Betts is going to get basically what he would get as a free agent, well, you let him go to free agency, right? And I also, you know, I made the argument in the, in the winter, coming off the season these guys are coming off of, you might actually be smart to wait a little bit because Mookie had such a damn good year. Maybe you want to see him do it again. Does he get more expensive? Probably. But what if what if he isn't quite what he was a year ago, right? Then, then what did you just pay for? Well, then Dave Dombrowski um, just missed his opportunity to overpay. That's yes. right. And, yes, and that's a very be, good point. Be, and that's another thing. Dave... I believe, you know, I should make, I should have a list of this handy, but I, I'm pretty sure his history is not to extend many guys. That's not something he did a ton of. I know, I, I know with Cabrera it happened, um, but I, but I, I'm pretty sure it's not something that we would consider to be in his mo. Yeah. Did he extend JD Martinez as well? Did that happen under his tenure? <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, no. Why well, isn't JD a free agent coming up? Is he? Is, or did they get something done? I, 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 I believe don't, I I don't want to break news here. Him. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, what, no. I'm, what, what I'm just do you know? <laughs> Speaking of the Astros, that's, that's about as big a blunder as you'll find. Yeah. I, oh, you're right. He had a two-year extension that, that was this spring. Right. So that's what it was. Yeah. Yes, I think right. in general, the, uh, as much as you were saying, 
Mookie Betts is one thing. Even I, I suspect that even if Mookie regresses a little bit, his season is going to look great. I think Bradley is a, a much clearer case of last year, perhaps representing the upper bound of uh, offensive performance. Right. Right. And maybe we're, maybe we're just being skeptical. You know, I've been, I, I and everybody else, I think have been skeptical of Jackie and, and maybe I'm just going off of one game here, but it might be it might be the case that this is a, a player who has this talent ability, right? I, I think it is possible that Jackie could be. Maybe he's not a 30 home run guy, but for him to be a good offensive player, I think that is possible. It, it's not. It, it, why couldn't he come into his own maybe a little bit later? Um, because he was a good hitter in college, I believe, and uh, so I think that's one of the more interesting things to look for this season. And early on is what is Jackie and, and also what is Xander? What is what is first half Xander 2017? Yeah, it, there, there's certainly a, a lot of pop in that bat. I mean, last night's uh, stat cast on that triple was 110.6 miles an hour off the bat. So that that guy yes. has some uh, some serious power when he does connect. Um, Evan, one of my favorite things about is that a breaking ball. Do we? I, I never. I didn't go back and look at it. what pitch did he hit. Oh, um, God, I. I felt like after he crushed breaking balls, particularly when he was on that streak. Anyway, that's just anecdotal. Go on. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I was going to say, one of my favorite things about your analysis is, is that you do look at things with uh, sort of a skeptical eye, and that may, may be the New Yorker in you. But that's that's uh, one of the <laughs> things that I really do appreciate. And when I was watching your show, I was very pleased to see that someone else shared the same skepticism that I do about David Price and Drew Pomerantz. Um, pitching a lot this year uh, and pitching effectively, like I'm fully ready for them to go under the knife. And, you know, I'm just waiting for that shoe to drop because I'm a pessimistic New Englander. uh, And that's just how I think. Um, But on that side, you know, those guys, whatever happens with them is going to happen with them. And, you know, we'll we'll see. But I want to know what your expectations are for Stephen Wright and Eddie Rodriguez. And then I also want to know, what you thought about the idea of Sandoval bouncing back this year and Hanley repeating his offensive performance from last year. So a, a um, few different things. I'm, I'm a Stephen Wright fan. And, and part of that is in so much as I just, that knuckleball is different than any knuckleball I've ever seen. I really enjoy watching the guy pitch and he's a good story. Uh, and I think if he is healthy, which we seem to think he is, uh, he took a long time to heal. How much can a shoulder ever heal? I don't know. It doesn't throw that hard. I, I think I think you can expect something good out of Stephen Wright. Uh, you know, as consistent as a knuckleballer can be, right? Somebody who who, who who's uh, literally making money off of something that is inconsistent. Uh, uh, I think can be somewhat consistent. Uh, Rodriguez. I had a scout tell me the other day they think he's the number two pitcher on the team. And uh, I'm not inclined to, you know what, that might be giving Rick Porcello a little bit of undue credit. Um, Might be, it probably is. But if he's healthy, that's how his stuff looks, right? It's, he he, he has a very high um, ceiling. And I I don't, you know, there's always been little questions like, okay, how's his work ethic? Uh, uh, Can he stay healthy? I don't think those go away, but he has a chance to kind of throw that stuff away a little bit this year. Whereas last year, you know, the knee injury screwed everything up. The first half was totally uh, cooked because of that because of that knee. Um, Sandoval, I think, can be a. I, I just don't believe he can bat right-handed. 
effectively. Mm-hmm. And I won't believe it until I see it. There was not enough to see down in spring training. He does look like he can he can handle himself against uh, uh, right-handed pitching as a left-handed batter. I think that I think we've seen enough in spring training to suggest that okay, he can do it. He seems like he's capable of moving around over there. He's he's something better than what there was last year. How much does I don't that think he's anything value? more. The, the, uh, the just just hitting left-handed. The, well, that's a good question. Um, well, it, it, kind of in a big picture perspective, if both him and Moreland are platoon guys, your your roster, a you've got to have a corner infielder. Somebody's got to kind of really step up into a. Um, you need basically a rotating thing at the corner infield spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to have two platoons. The, the, so I, in, in terms of like, you know, I guess a guy who's a platoon player is kind of only good half the time, right? right. That's probably a little too extreme, but it does hurt the roster and, and, and what you can do with your roster when you have guys who are only good from one side of the plate. So that, that's where I come at it from right now. And Hanley, Hanley's an interesting one because people, I, the whole Ortiz leadership thing is just like, it's overblown. There's no other way to put it, but. Um, everything with Ortiz is overblown, but except for the fact that he was like the best hitter in baseball last year, that's not overblown. Um, <laughs> Let's not forget that. Right, that whole point. Well, I, I, although I think Trout might have, I, I saw different metrics. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, does he like like this first base thing right now? Can he play first base? Is he milking this a little bit? Does he just want a DH? Is he he wants to be? You know, he took over Ortiz's locker. He wants to be. Uh, the, a leader does he act like one and and uh you know does he stay focused and happy do, I, I have trouble with this narrative that like and i asked the questions myself i asked it at the end of the press conference you know do you worry that moving him to dh takes away the perceived value of him being more you know somehow the narrative became him playing first base helped his hitting last year and i don't know if that's necessarily the case it might be the case that he, because he was not playing the outfield he was therefore happy right and the, and the, but the, the act of playing the field i don't know if that is what made him happy a happy player is what you want if dhing keeps him happy then i don't see how that necessarily is a problem if indeed the act of playing the field contribute you know maybe like takes his mind off and about i don't know um but that's one of those narratives that seems to have developed, and, and it's like, well, I don't know if the DH is necessarily going to make him unhappy, but it's just something to watch. Uh, you know, how does his health play out? And does he, you know, it, it, it'll, we will never know if Ortiz, if like losing Ortiz was kind of like that big brother figure to him, like if, if, if that somehow hurts him this year. But but if if it doesn't go as well, you start to wonder a little bit. Just kind of where where his head's at, you know? Yeah. Because he's a guy who's, who that question has existed for in his career. Yeah, for for many years in many different places, even. Yeah. Correct. The the, the one question that I had preseason, and I wrote about this, is the the biggest question mark that I see on this team is whether or not Hanley can produce. And if he doesn't produce, I am of the mind that the Red Sox are in. Uh, a world of hurt that he is perhaps more important on this roster than any other player because his bat is just so necessary to make this unit go the way that it needs to go what are your thoughts on that yeah 
I don't disagree with you. You know, the, the X Factor game is always a fun one, right? Because it kind of comes down to the, you know, you you can go so many directions with that. Basically, is is, is what I'm getting at. But um, yeah, I, I, but you know, with his track record, he, he was a good hitter before he got here. I think what probably scares people is because they saw 15. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see 15 up close. <laughs> So I guess I, I, I've been very lucky in that regard yes, to not watch lucky. such a very bad form of baseball because who wants to see that? Well, it's probably interesting to write about. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think in some way he was over his skis, right, that, that he was somehow outperforming what he's capable of last year. I, and I don't have the career. I could pull up the career numbers. But, you know, if he's healthy, it's, it's really, it, to me, it's more of a health question. Okay. If he's healthy and and if he's healthy, why would we think he wouldn't hit well, right? I, and I, I don't remember the specifics of 2015. How many games did he end up playing? It was 105. I just looked it up. Um, but I think if he's healthy, he's good. It's just the health is the is is really the question. And the, and all around the Red Sox got very fortunate last year with health. And in, in some respect, to go back to the original discussion. Well, maybe it's just been a string of bad luck, right? Like, but that's why I say the Red Sox need to look into their health, look into it, and just make sure they know that it's just bad luck. If it is indeed just bad luck, but um, they got lucky with with the number of games Hanley played last year. I feel. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to expect him to play that full slate, but I guess if they're protecting him by putting him at DH majority of the time and moving him to first base, where there's presumably a lot less risk for him to get hurt, then. You know, they're doing the right things with what is an aging, important bat in your lineup, and it's something that they certainly have more uh, experience dealing with than almost any other team out there, right? Knowing how to manage that type of player? Yeah, I would agree with that. Sure. All right. Uh, Brian, you got anything? Uh, No, I think your concern about Hanley is maybe a little overstated but valid also i don't know if you can draw lessons from ortiz given that we've sort of established that he's one of a kind um which can you can filter down and get into what you think about uh, how that means hanley's quest to quote-unquote replace him uh, is doomed to fail from the outset because it's just not possible. Um, but the fact is, as Evan said, that Hanley's a good hitter. And uh, I, I think one thing that's weird with him is that his results have generally been good, but they've also been all over the map. Um, and the last two years just continue that trend. But from what I remember about last year, it was one of the first years of his career to actually match up with a lot of his career norms whereas previously they were either way above or way below and he actually hit the middle and i think if he does that uh, they'll be fine because i think he's probably uh at best the third best hitter on the team um but that's probably an argument for another day because we're running pretty long yeah in in to to that point brian um his true averages which is a baseball prospectus stat that we use to measure kind of how good a hitter is 
Um, his true average last year was 280. Um, in, in previous years, it was right around 305, 275, 280. Uh, in this most recent years, with one outlier of 2013, where he had a true average of 360, and an outlier in 2015, where he was comically bad and he had a true average of 252. Um, so you're absolutely right. He did kind of reverse back to uh, the mean as to where he was consistently since 2012. Which is fine. I think if, if he can do that or better... Uh, health permitting, I think that's okay. Um, so, no, I don't have anything else on any of that to answer your question. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Evan, I just want to thank you again uh, for joining us here today. Uh, this has been incredibly insightful, and we hope to be able to have you on again at some point uh, during the season, if that would be amenable. Absolutely. Any anytime somebody wants to let me ramble, I'm you know, it's, it's I, I can do that. I can ramble. It's a very if nothing else, I can ramble about nothing. Well, you're you're very much at home in that regard on this show. So thank you again. Um, some housekeeping for the listeners out there. Um, you can follow Evan on Twitter at, at Evan Drellick. Uh, you can follow Brian on Twitter at, at Brian Joiner, and you can follow myself on Twitter at, at Dev Jake. Uh, again, I want I I can't stress this enough. Uh, Evan's stuff is fantastic. Check him out on CSN New England, uh, where he writes. Also check out the baseball show Sundays at 6.30 p.m. on CSN. Um, and please rate and review us uh, on Stitcher and on iTunes. And if you like the show, um, please share it with your friends on Twitter because that's how we grow when people start to listen to us. So uh, that is always appreciated. And uh, for everybody else uh, out there, you can uh, follow us next time at this exact same time and uh, next week at the same time, and uh, we will be with you next week. So thanks a lot for joining us, guys. Thanks for having me.